This is Jessica. This is Kelly, the Chasing Brighter podcast. Hi, everybody. On today's podcast, Kelly and I will be conducting our very first interview, um, and we will be interviewing my great friend, Teresa. She was my very first friend when I moved to Las Vegas. She is a full-time wife and mother. She has a light and faith that shines bright, and I find myself drawn to her energy. So welcome, Teresa. We have lots of questions for you today, um, and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited for you girls. I'm excited for your new podcast and I'm excited to be part of it. So thanks for inviting me. Thanks for agreeing to us and being our guinea pig. Yeah, yeah. And I think what we're trying to do today is walk a mile in your shoes, Teresa. So you're, I always get confused with the number because there were so many kids growing up for you, but you're right, you're six of seven. Seven of eight. You're seven of eight. See, I always get it wrong because seven already seems like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. I guess we're good Catholics, I guess, my mom. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I grew up poor. Like I we never I would say we never had nothing. We didn't like not have food, not have a place to live, but we got by on very little. And um I don't know, I think people I'm, I think it's great if people can have a lot of kids, but you have to realize that you spread yourself thin when, so I think my mom was spread thin by the time my parents were spread thin by the time I was born and they had a lot of struggles already. And my version of it is I always felt loved. I knew I was loved. I was one of, it was great being part of a lot of siblings, you know, especially a baby. I was kind of, you know, taken care of or whatever, but, um, I guess I felt like I didn't want to burden my parents with my own burdens and they never were asking me about how I was, except for externally, you know, if my grades were okay, if my health was all right, you know, but never were talking to me about my feelings. I actually almost probably felt like I was, I didn't want to burden my mom because she had a lot on her plate already, you know? I don't know how you know that when you're a little kid, but I did know it. Even not knowing exactly what her things were, she just seemed overwhelmed. So, so that is, I think I just took a role of, I wanted to help all the time. I wanted to be, I was the neighborhood babysitter. I was the, you know, um, kind of a mom's helper. Like I liked the hanging out with other moms that had young kids because they would take me, you know, they would want me to babysit, but then I felt useful in their home and my own home was chaotic. So my mom worked in the evening and she was home during the day, but we were at school. And then in the evenings was kind of bad because my dad was home and he was very abusive verbally, physically. And so I just, uh, I just think that, that's my story of being, you know, one of the many, many siblings. There was a lot to overcome being poor, you know, trying to have what everyone else had or be like everyone else, you know. But I mean, I never grew up like in fancy neighborhoods, just average. Well, I think too, when you said, how does a child know they're a burden? But I think you and I have 
you know, had some conversations about this, but about you being an empath and you yeah. sensing, right? Like it was natural to you. Cause I think there are other people that would be in your position and not recognize, right? Like, oh, I'm, this might be stressful for my mom. So I'm going to lay low, but you intrinsically could sense, right? You could sense the vibe. You could sense the energy and the mood. And you were like, okay, mom can't take one more thing. Yes. Yes. I, 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 now I have recollections of being like, like having a stomach ache and not wanting to tell her because she had enough to deal with. I would even go to my sis, my older sister and like, she was kind of motherly anyways to me. So she would be more like, Oh, I'll, I'll get you some tea or, you know, something like that. Um, my sister also, my oldest sister also took the role of whether she was, I don't believe she was asked to. I think she stood, just stood up when my mom, my mom has mental illness too. She's bipolar. So I think when things got overwhelming, my older siblings just took over because they had to, I think. And so that was kind of some of our struggles is, um, you know, with my dad being very abusive, my mom, you know, having mental health issues and just life struggles, you know, but I, all together, I mean, even with all that, I could still say I had a pretty happy childhood because my siblings and I are very close and we depended on each other and we had neighborhood, we had family friends, we had church friends who kind of maybe didn't, didn't know all that was happening in our house, but definitely stood up because they saw there was a need. Yeah. So... So, I mean, given, given a lot of those challenges, I mean, how do you, how do you see that now as maybe an advantage um, for you now in kind of where you are in life? Um, I, I think we all know that the strong, if the strong survive, they come out better, right? Like, I mean, if you, with adversity and everything, if you come out on the wrong side, you've learned some stuff, right? So I feel like being poor, made me appreciate stuff, made me want to work hard to get things that I wanted, makes me want to teach my kids because we, I do have more than my, my kids have more than I ever had, but I don't want to give them that because I understand the value of having to work for what you want and what it, how it contributes to your character. So I definitely struggle with not wanting to give my kids everything. I want them to earn it. I want them to be grateful for that. And, and for me as a human, like I think every day, because I'm, my car starts every day, I'm grateful. <laughs> Cause if you've ever had a junkie car before, you know what it's like to be like, Oh, you got to almost prepare to be like, what next is going to happen? What? And now I'm always so, so grateful for, you know, for the silliest things. Like, I mean, I don't, not all the time. I'm not talking, talking about myself being so great or anything, but I have to remind myself of where I've been so that I can appreciate where I am. That I was just listening to uh, Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us. And she was just talking about the research supports gratitude equals joy. And that gratitude is a practice and that that is how we can have joy. Absolutely. I just read something too, which was another Brene Brown thing that made me think about 
is um, saying, she said something about when you, if you listen to people and let their truth be theirs instead of, um, you know, second guessing it, then you're giving them power of empathy. That's what empathy really is. But sometimes we discount people's stuff, you know, because our experience is different, but it doesn't make it there's not true, you know? So I'm like, I want to be that. Those are things I aspire to be like, to be a person who can let other people's stuff be theirs without judging them. (laughs) I'm not there yet, but I'd like to be, you know? Yeah. I think that's the work. I think some of that I think comes from, if this all makes sense, but if you love yourself and you believe in an abundance you are allowing that other person to have their journey. Does that like, you don't need control of their journey or to judge what they're doing because you, if that makes sense, are happy with yourself. And I think when we're unhappy with ourselves, we project that onto other people and that comes out in judgment. Yeah, I'm, I'm just learning. Parenting teaches me so much about life, but um, I, sometimes I used to discount, like, because I have teenagers who are dramatic about stuff and I'm like, Oh, come on. You have no idea about the world. And then I'm like, okay, but it's real to them right now. I have to slow down and say it's real to them right now. And they don't see that it's just a simple thing. Like to them, it's, real that's the biggest thing in their life you know and learning to I don't know let my kids make their own mistakes that one's really hard for me or make choices without me my my son is 17 so he's almost an adult and still I think I know better than him and I want to tell him what he should do and then I'm like you don't learn until you make mistakes. So I want to have the gift of stepping back and saying, if that's your choice, then whatever comes with that is your choice. I think that's so hard to, so my oldest is 14. I think that is so hard to allow them to experience pain, disappointment, grief, right? I think that comes from wanting to protect, like just do everything I say, and live this, do, follow this line. And I've got this, bam, you know, <laughs> but, and it's like, I'm, I'm surprised that I am giving my 14 year old a longer and longer and longer leash. You know, you don't know what you're going to do till you get there. And it's like, okay, you know, we have to allow them to fail. There's that book, the gift of failure and failure can be a gift, right? Yeah. Yes. That makes you strong. You can't be smart or brave or wise if you haven't had to experience right fear or disappointment or failure absolutely it's like you were saying like the diversity that I had as a child like I'm sure my parents didn't want me to be broke I'm sure they didn't want me to be felt left out or you know too busy for me but all those things have taught me lessons in life and we know that you can't know what good looks like unless you've experienced bad right so I have to remember that with my own children that when they have failures they will learn from them so I have to let that happen 
So, Tracy, you were talking about just kind of how you grew up and, um, you know, some of the ways in which that's helped you be who you are today. I know you had a lot of older siblings, but who were some of the role models or who were some of the influences in your life? I mean, you talked about knowing that you had to work hard to get what you wanted. How did you know that? How did you know were there people who kind of came along throughout your life that really had an impact on you? I would say, like I was saying, I was kind of like a mother helper. So they were my neighbor, my neighbor ladies that would um, just tell me I could be more, you know, like I like uh, inclusive to me. Maybe um, I remember, um, I don't know if, you're, if everybody knows, but um, Sunday school teachers, we call them catechism teachers. Like I remember that as a youth, maybe, you know, a teen having having a friend's mom be the you know, the CCD teacher and just like talking to us, like our p- opinion mattered. I think that's it. Like talking to teenagers, like, because I didn't feel that as a kid, I thought kids had a different place than adults did. And that what adults said was the rule, the way it was, you know, and just becoming a teenager and, and hearing people that wanted to hear my opinion, you know, that thought that what kids had to say was something, you know, so that, that I had an aunt like older in life I would when I was seeking people to inspire me when I was looking for inspiration I would say my aunt um Oprah (laughs) I I really I mean this is I would say the latter version of Oprah not when it was just a little walk around Donahue show but like when she was more inspirational, I just think like I, I knew I could see it, even though I was in my 20s, that wisdom came when you got older. And I wanted to have that. I wanted to have that. Stop caring about what other people think. Be you. Be authentic. You know, so to me, that was I, and and even today, I would say that those are the people that I want to talk to people who've lived some experiences, you know, and, and where they came out on the other side and, and how they got through it. Because sometimes my marriage um, challenges are so much for me. And then I think, how are people married for 40 years? How do they do it? Like, I can't even imagine that. And then I have to see like hearing their stories and what they've been through. And it's kind of the same. It's, it's how you, how you're going to choose to let it affect you, I guess. So to me, that's, that's what I feel like. I church, definitely church people. Um, now I just been reading a lot about, um, I want, I, I always want to say, I wish I could remind myself to keep the heart of mother Teresa, you know, like I just want to be, I mean, I don't want to go to India and touch sick people. I just want to have a heart that wants to always help, you know, and, and if I remember that, it takes less judgment. I, I become less judgy. So I think like you're like Jessica was saying, gratitude is what helps us be better people. Because when we see what we have and we see what other people have, that inspires me to want to do more, to be grateful for what I have today as opposed to what I had before. And not just things, but knowledge, knowledge of the world. 
So I don't, that's what I say. I always tell Jessica, the part I, I don't like about being old is what's happening to my face. But the, do, the part I do like about being old is what is happening to my heart and to my brain. Like, I just want to be comfortable with who I am, with who other people are, accepting people for who they are, instead of being judgy, thinking everyone needs to be a certain way. That's, that's the growth I've come to. That's very beautiful. Thanks. And I, knowing you, I know um, that you have such a, a strong faith. Um, can you tell us how you stay positive and strong or what are, what are things that you do? And maybe it's because I'm a therapist, right? But like, there are a lot of people who have experienced adversity and they can't, they, they struggle with gratitude. They cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it's very difficult for them to not compare. It's very difficult for them to have gratitude. So kind of what are your daily, weekly, kind of monthly practices that help you with your faith and, and help you staying positive? I wish I was a Bible reader. I wish I was all those things. I'm just, I do listen. I go to church. Um, I talk to people. Um I, I avoid negativity like as much as I can in as far as the media and stuff. I don't want to hear about social, you know, celebrity gossip or whatever. Like I, to me, it's, it brings me down because I get in comparison and we all know that comparison steals your joy, right? Like I have to remind myself comparison steals my joy. So, um, I want to be happy for where I am. And I think that's where definitely talking to my friends, talking to people, I, I would even say church friends and people listening to, to, um, inspire. Like I do love Brene Brown. <laughs> She's my new, uh, person, you know, inspiration. I'm sorry. I can't. What happened? Do you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think you, do you think you are good at setting boundaries? So I've noticed for me now in my life, I'm 43. Um, I don't have time for shenanigans, right? I have a business. I have three children. I have so much going on that I can't. I, I can't be with emotional vampires anymore. And I really am drawn to people who are on similar journeys as I am, right? And so we can talk about all these exciting things. Like I know we've all referenced Brene Brown at this point where we can talk about, oh, did you read this or did you see this? Because we're all just trying to do the work. I guess I'm drawn to people who are really doing the work. And so how are you with the people you surround yourself with? And do you think you're good at setting boundaries? I'm getting better. The older I get, the better I'm getting. Um, I, like you said, if I'm in, if I'm an empath, then I want to be around people who I think need me, but then sometimes they take too much from me. And then I can't be authentic to myself because I'm, I'm like you said, it's emotionally vampire. Like I'm giving too much and I'm not. So I think I have to find a balance of like, helping people and, and still taking care of myself. That is a 
tough struggle I have. Um, because sometimes I let my identity be that I, that I'm helping other people and, and everything in my own life is put aside and suffers. My family suffers, my husband, my marriage suffers, my kids, you know, because I, I want to get fulfillment out of help of giving to so many other people that I don't work on myself, you know? And, and then everyone, you know, like everyone in my life will suffer because of that. So I'm learning to set boundaries about how much I can do for other people, because that's where I find my joy. <laughs> I find my joy in doing for other people, like, or trying to make a difference, you know, in the world, um, or in just in my little tiny world or so, um, so that, yeah, I mean, but I, I definitely think I'm, I'm getting better at setting boundaries and like, I don't want to be involved, like the things that you, I like wanted to be the PTA everything and thought that that made me look like the best mom. And, you know, I wanted to do what stereotypes I thought were cool, you know, or, or what I, but now I'm like, I think I can do more for my kids not being at every single event that they are at and, you know, like being their support in it and helping them on the back scene, maybe, you know, instead of being needy, I, I guess it's different ages too of, of where they are in life, but that, that's what helped me learn to be more, to step back, to step back, you know, and just say, I, I don't think the school needs me there every day. There's somebody else who can do that job. And then, you know, like I used to do advocacy for foster kids and I still, it, it's still in my heart and I love that. I just don't know how much I can do that anymore without the sacrifice that it takes for my family because I become so emotionally invested in it that I, I can't even, I take on other people. Like you're saying, it's an empathy thing. It's a, what did you call it? An empath. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, being an empath and holding on to their pain. And it prevents, sometimes it's stifling for me, you know? And I think you are so good at it. Right. I mean, so I know, I mean, you were like, I'm going to get this kid, right. We're going to get this kid permanent placement and find a loving family. But like you're saying, then to know your boundaries, because then your kids are put on the back burner because you're out advocating, calling, writing reports for these kids and, and knowing, and I, that's a boundary and that is such a fine line because you're saying you're good at it, right? You're good at it and it feels good um, mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And I think, I know I was telling you the other day, my new thing, I think I started it in 2020, was people have to say, Jessica, can you help me? <laughs> Jessica, can yeah. you do this for me versus me? Like, oh, what do you do? Okay, let me, here's what you gotta do. Let me just email you this, what you do. Yeah. Contact this person, go here, do that. Here, I've got a coupon here. What'd you say? And then you want me to bring by some soup and wait, yeah. I'm at the grocery store. You need to get anything for you? And it's like, yeah. no, no, no. People have to say, excuse me, you know, Jessica, can you help me? And other than that, then I'm not, and that's very counterintuitive for me to not jump in and save everybody, but that is not my role. And I think that the more I'm learning about being an empath has to do with being an empath because you are sensing everyone else's discomfort 
their pain, whatever it is. And so you think that's your job to make them feel better. Um, but if you don't care for yourself and set boundaries, you, you know, you lose yourself in that. Yes. Yes, for sure. I mean, those, those are tough things to learn, but I, I, I think so much of that comes with maturity, but also, like you said, seeking it out, seeking out a, a good balance in our life. Like, I don't know. I, I, I have trouble balancing. Like I also have some physical issues. I mean, I have health issues. So then in my mind, I have like all these goals of like, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do this and all these things I want to do before I die, you know? And then I feel like I'm trying to squish them in. I'm just trying to squish in everything I want to do. And then my, when my body is failing me, I'm, I'm frustrated and angry. And then I'm like, who am I disappointing? Like only myself, it's only me. Like, I don't know why I get so frustrated when it, they're only my personal goals. No one's expecting that anything out of me, you know, like, so, um, but I, I think that's a frustration I have that, um, of holding myself to, to wanting to do more than I really can. You know, there's only so many hours in the day and, and feeling okay. Another thing I struggle with is feeling okay with having downtime like letting myself not need to be doing something or fixing something or getting something for somebody else or. I, I, I think of that as vulnerability, like being able to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like that. I mean, I guess nobody likes being vulnerable, but there is a gift in that. There is. Let's go back to some other um, less serious topics. Like what song, album, or playlist do you listen to the most right now? Well, I'm kind of a dork. Like I'm not very hip. <laughs> Me and my daughter, we love, um, that's the only kind of cool stuff when I listen to stuff with her. She, we like, mm. well, I like Gwen Stefani, you know, so we can jam to some girl chick stuff like that. And Lizzo all that stuff. But then personally, when I have my own playlist, it's uh, my old school. Like I listen to Janis Joplin, the Beatles, you know, I'm not all that hip. I just like what I like. Those that are all great. Those are all great. That inspires me, oh, you know, because, you know, the whole uh, that's so funny because my daughter wanted me to buy her. um of these kids now like all the retro stuff right so she asked me to buy her pink floyd t-shirt and i go if you could name one song that they sing i'll buy it for you because <laughs> she doesn't she doesn't know who pink floyd is she just likes the album cover yeah awesome what about movies or a movie so what movie do you think that you've seen the most times mm. I'm not really a rewatcher, except for like Christmas movies, you know, we Christmas vacation count. Okay. Yeah. Those ones we watch a thousand times and they never get old to me. Like I could probably repeat it though. I probably say the word for word. I love Christmas vacation, but my favorite movie ever that I probably have watched multiple times. 
and I want everyone to see and I want to show it to them, you know, it's like Shawshank, you know, the Shawshank. I have never seen it, Teresa. My gosh. Can we watch it together, Kelly? I think we're going to need to. I want you to watch it with me because there, I do this to my, to Bryce all the time too. I feel like these there's must see movies, you know, like, and then, but I haven't seen him for a long time. And I, we just, him and I just watched 12 years a slave. Oh, that one cut deep. <laughs> but I mean, that's the, see, see, you're right, Jessica. I do like down the <laughs> belly stuff. I'm like, oh, trees, that's too heavy. I don't, I don't want to. Yeah. Oh, you're all- I would have to prepare for it and do like a four parter or something, but I'm just speechless because Kelly hasn't seen Shawshank Redemption. No, that's what the best movie of all time. It is. It is. Um, I need to get on that. What's your favorite movie of all time? Um, I think for me for a long time would be Pretty Woman. Oh, I put that on my list too. When you guys named, I when I was a kid and I was like 16, I worked at the video store and I think I played that on repeat the whole time. <laughs> I just, I just loved the rags to riches kind of story in some ways, you know? Um, And I think it's interesting because now I look at it and I'm like, you know, wow, I was liking a movie about a prostitute, but I didn't see it. You know, you don't see it that way. Right. You just see it as this girl who doesn't have any money who gets to shop on Rodeo drive. That's kind of what I saw it as. Um, which kind of even circles back to parenting and you're talking about your kid's state of mind, right? Cause you realize like as a kid, they don't, they don't see the world in interpret it the same way we do as adults. Right. You know, you just want all that cool stuff. You're like, how, how lucky she was, you know, you're not like, Oh my gosh, poor girl. She was a prostitute. You're like, how lucky for her. She gets the hot guy and cool clothes and stuff. Yeah. It's yeah, like, a- reminds- go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. That reminds me, there's a movie, Racks or Riches. Now I feel like I got to show my kids that it, movie. It wasn't, was it a movie or was it a TV show? Because now that I think about it. It was a spinoff. I think it was based on a movie. Either way, I got to show my kids Racks or Riches. That was, I love that. There wasn't very many episodes. Was it like a modern Annie where a group of kids were like. It was a group of kids that were adopted by a guy who was wealthy. So you're right. It's like a modern it. It was like a modern day Annie. I also loved um, Steel Magnolias. That was, I don't know. It's a beautiful movie. Maybe the cast was great. I loved the old lady, the little sarcastic old lady, you know. That's a really great one. I actually made my kids watch Jaws this weekend. (laughs) I love Jaws. PG-13, by the way, or PG. It's PG, not even PG-13. Um. But I'm, I was trying to make them more aware of, like, the theatrical parts of how, hor- how horrible the graphics Do they were. have a 4K version? Because my kids, if we try to watch something older, like, it's blurry. I can't even. Their mouth isn't exactly matching the audio. Like, they're so spoiled, you know? And I'm like, we had, like, a 20-inch TV or something. I, I would remember we didn't have a remote, and the TV would turn, like, blue and red, and you have to go and, like, hit it really hard. Yeah. for it to turn back you know and so they're like that's oh, all awesome. this is only sd i only watch uh 4k ultra 
Yes, right. I and and my favorite when my kids would tell me about scary movies, I'm like, this. I I thought The Shining was the scariest movie. I still think it's the scariest movie, but they're like, oh, mom, it was kind of cheesy. I'm like, no, it's not cheesy. Jack will always be that guy. <laughs> I agree. I think that is a pretty scary. I think I think the older movies are scarier than the newer ones. I don't know. I love I scary movies. I like more thrillers though, like like that, like yes. shining. I don't like like um, slasher movies. I don't yet. like the gory stuff so much. No, I did watch all the Halloweens before, but about the one where the people where they had that um, home video camera and they were like in the woods. And they oh, kept the Blair Witch Project. Oh, the Blair Witch. Yeah, that was that's all in your head. And then did you watch what was the one that was after that where the girl had the demon? The The Exorcist? Exorcist? No, no, no. No, no, no. It was like, (laughs) it was right around the time of Blair Witch. And there was like a noise in the house. And she could like hear a demon. I didn't see no one. Um. I kind of know what you're talking about, but I've got to, is, um, oh wait, um, is that the one with the circle? The, the ring, the ring, is that the one the called the ring? Scary. The okay. ring scared the crap out of me. Um, I thought it was like the people that really bothers me, but I was going to say what was really weird was Justin and I went to see that movie that doesn't have a name. Cause I, I don't remember it. And when we, what was it? Something happened. I don't, I don't remember what happened, but anyways, we came home and our DVR had recorded like all these scary movies, like at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Like they were recorded. I was like, oh, I think the tape oh. put me out. Now in your house, the the aura or whatever bad aura. <laughs> the demon your- energy left the theater and came home with me. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm not a scary movie person, but I like, um, oh, I made my, I made Bryce watch this one movie with me that was, um, it was Robert De Niro. Oh, um, and they went out to, he was this creepy killer. They wanted, he wanted to get the guy back for being, the about Cape Fear, the Cape Fear one. So good. I know. I was like, isn't that the creepiest thing he wrote on the bottom of their car? And, yeah, no, Bryce did like it, but he, at first, he's like, oh, mom, this isn't really a scary. My version of a scary movie is thrillers, I think, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, I like, I, I like all the M. Night Shyamalan movies, because everything moves in your head, and you don't see anything. What was that? What kind of movies? M. Night Shyamalan, like, you know, The Sixth Sense. Oh, yes. Or yeah. The Village, you know, where you're not seeing anything, you create it all in your yeah. mind so you're kind yeah. of freaked out but they're they don't really show you anything i just i said i want to have a stephen king because when i was a kid that was what was scary like pet cemetery and cujo Cujo, yep it but i read all those books i read all those books and i was inappropriately young right like i had a library card and i see no one was monitoring what i was checking out I, I watched The Exorcist and my mama had already told me not to. So then I was having bad dreams, and but I couldn't tell her. I must have been only nine, ten years old. But it, I think I I was like, I, then I was horrified and I couldn't even tell her because I'd get in trouble for watching. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, my mom was afraid of anything that had like negative, uh, like religious. Well, I mean, the, the Catholic Church, I think, was against 
The Exorcist, like you weren't supposed to watch it. Like, I don't know if they still had that. Like at one time there were like a lot of movies that you shouldn't watch for whatever oh. reason. And that's probably why my mom told me not to watch it. Cause she definitely did whatever the church told her to do. Yeah. <laughs> it was scary. Like remember the holy water burned her skin. I didn't see it. I've never seen it. It might not be as scary. It's, it's a classic. Like you almost need to watch those just because they're like quintessential. A lot of movies I think nowadays take part, take from old movies. Cause there's so much, there's not a lot of like, re- it's kind of like everything is reinventing their own. Not a lot of original content, I guess I should say. I was saying that the other day because Bryce works at the movie theater. And so we can go for free. And then I, I'm looking on the list. I'm like, there's nothing I even want to see there. I'm like, they're redoing the fire starter. I was like, uh, Drew Barrymore is the fire starter. <laughs> I saw that too. Yeah. I don't know that too. The, the movie I'm talking about with the demon or whatever was Paranormal Activity. Oh, I do remember. Or the, um, what was the something? There were real stories of, um, they were like real stories. On TV? No, it was a movie, but it would be like, um, like people's arms getting severed and like gross stuff like that. But it was, they were real movies. I mean, they were real stories. I can't remember what that was called, but I was like, I didn't want to watch it. You know, like all the teenagers, your teenager friends want to watch it. And you're like, I don't want to watch. I don't, I didn't like that. Even when I was in high school, like, you know how there was a fight and then everyone would run to go look at the fight. And I'd be like, Oh, I don't want to watch them fight. I'd try to break it up. <laughs> Are you talking about, well, one show that we did watch a lot as a kid was rescue 911. Oh, rescue 911. That's a good one. And they would like reenact it and it would just be kind of fake. Yeah. So, like, you remember that part? <laughs> Yeah, the cheesy version of it. And then the, but the people that it really happened to would talk. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I still like those ones. So we're like a voyeuristic society. Right. uh, I'd rather, that's our reality TV. That's the kind of the version of reality TV I like. Not seeing them, uh, you know, brawl with their friends or. I don't, I don't like Jersey Shore. I mean, for a minute I watched Survivor, but I, I'm not really that much into reality TV, like Housewives or anything. But I did like, I did like um, 48 hours and um, forensic files and creepy stuff yeah. like that. Well, we all grew up in the 80s and 90s. And I think one of my, one of my final questions for you is if you could experience any period of time any point in history what would you want to experience I know I saw that question and I don't know if I have a good answer I mean I grew up like liking because we didn't have cable back in those days like I liked Beaver Cleaver and the Brady Bunch and stuff like that so I think that I thought that I wanted that probably because my family was dysfunctional as well and they looked like they were so happy little family that I thought I wanted to like, I just thought their life was simpler in, in the fifties or, you know, happy days. Like, you're like, oh, they're so cool. Uh, you guys might, you might, that might be a little bit, I'm a little bit older than you. So maybe that wasn't your gig, but I remember thinking, well, I was a kid too. When, in the happy days, people were teenagers, right? 
So I was like, oh, that is so cool. You know, everything that teenagers did was so cool. And I liked, um, yeah, just those simpler times. I, I thought, I thought those times were simpler, you know, when I look back now, but I'm like every, every generation has their own stuff. Like, so do, if I wish I lived in the fifties, then I would be a woman who was even more oppressed. So not really. I don't wish I lived in. I just thought that their life, they lived a simpler life. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have to be exposed to every single thing in the world. It was only if you read the newspaper or watched the six o'clock news, did you even know what was happening anywhere outside of your town? Yeah. Lots of downtime back then. Lots of downtime. This seems simpler. Life seems but I don't wish I lived then because like I said, there, I mean, we've grown in a lot of ways since then too. And I, I don't know. I, I look, my mom is so much older and I always think like, man, if she could have only been able to be herself, but she was oppressed by the times that she, you know, because she was, her parents were Uber Catholic. And so she had those expectations to live up to. Plus she was a girl. She couldn't do whatever career choices she wanted. Like you could be a nurse or a teacher or something that will, she, those are the only choices you could have, you know, but I think my mom would have been a feminist if there was, because she definitely was, went away to college, which that was unheard of, you know. She tried within so many restrictions of her family and society and her gender it sounds like she tried to be as independent as she could. And then I, I do you feel like she was kind of forced into marriage? Yeah. I mean, I think, yes, absolutely. Because she wasn't, she didn't marry till she was 27 because she had gone away and went to school. And then st- after she finished nursing school, she stayed there and, and worked and her mom wanted her to come home. And they basically found her a husband kind of like my dad is the, nephew of their priest so so they went searching and was he was your dad living in the states he had just yeah he had just moved to america and um he was sponsored here by that uncle who is there was the priest at my mom's church so i think it her mom was like you can't be a spinster so we'll find you somebody (laughs) yeah so he was like a mail order groom well, he was already here and he was here for opportunity to go to college, but he didn't, I'm sure he didn't, he didn't have any perspective, pers- perspective wives anyway. So yeah, yeah. it's just weird. I mean, so I, th- I think that is a, a definitely a representative of her time. And then I wonder what it would have been like if she, because I, I would say even as she, as my parents were divorced, later in life like I felt like she became a different person when she didn't live under his thumb you know yeah yeah so so anyway my my take on it and I I just want to say this I want my my take on people I want to believe that people are mostly good and even though a lot of bad things happen in the world and I don't want to know about it and that I try to put my blinders on, but I want to see the good in people. And I do believe that people's spirit is mostly good. It's only bad things that have happened to them that make them so negative, you know? 
Thank you so much, Teresa, for joining us. Yes, thank you. Writer today. Ladies, thank always you like so chatting with you. I don't know if we got good material, but it was a nice talk anyhow. <laughs> You're awesome. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. All right. You girls have a good day and I'll talk to you soon. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow us on ChasingBrighter.com or on YouTube at ChasingBrighter or on Instagram at ChasingBrighter.